Hey guys, if you have an interest in developing games, consider joining the WU Game Developers Club. We don't have any more meetings this semester, but we should be back this fall and we'll be meeting every week. It's a great, open, friendly environment. You don't have to have any prior development experience. Take it from me. When I joined, I had no game development experience, and now I've put out nearly three games. If you're interested, go to gamedevclub.orgs.wvu.edu to learn more. Hey everyone, and welcome to Game Talk Episode 10. I'm your host, Ahmed Mion. This week I'm joined by Jordan Hallow and Tristan Snyder. Hello. Hey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> our first topic for today is going to be DLC, downloadable content. Um, it's become pretty common practice uh, for the past few years, actually, to have your base game and then include additional content. Uh, typically, your company is charged for that content. Some of the... Uh, the most egregious uh, example of DLC, I think, is the Star Wars Battlefront season pass that came out last year. It was $50, so it's pretty much the same price as the game. Um, but there are other companies that do it quite reasonably um, when that comes to mind to CD Projekt Red for uh, what they asked for the Witcher DLC. I can't quite remember the price. It was, I think, between 20 and $30, and uh, it added dozens and dozens of hours of content. Um, so, those are kind of two extremes of DLC there. I just kind of wanted to get your guys' thoughts on, uh, how DLC practices should be, and maybe DLC packages that stand out to you guys in games you like. So DLC has only been around since, um, online stores, I would think, right? So, so like, since, yeah, like, the 6th generation. <clears throat> PS3 360 era, yeah. No, I think there was someone... <laughs> A I before that. Like Xbox, Xbox, yeah. Xbox, oh, really? they had Xbox okay. Live. Right, that. right, right, right. And yeah, um, PC probably had it earlier than that. I would assume. I uh, don't know. I guess in the form of like expansion packs. I guess you could call that DLC. I mean, it's an early form of DLC. You didn't really buy it, uh, downloaded it. You just kind of went to the store and bought the expansion pack. But I would define DLC as stuff that you would need that you couldn't play without the base game. You know what I mean? Would would that be right. fair? Definitely. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I I agree with that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I would ex- I think that some of um, the like the early Age of Empires expansions you couldn't play without the base game. I don't know. Maybe there were a few that were so I think standalone. But you can make a differentiation between DLC and expansion. Like in a, in a, uh, an expansion, I think you can you can probably play without the base game. Is that safe to say? Some of them were like that, where you could play them without the base game. But there were also a number of them that just added like. A few more maps, a few more units and uh, uh, nation civilizations, I guess you could play as. So just going based off of that, most DLC is in the form of, like, small unlockable things within the game, right? Um, the DLC where you kind of get, like, a added, you know, 10 levels or added certain amount of hours to the game is kind of more rare. I personally don't like that kind of DLC. I mean, it's kind of harmless because I'll never buy it, so it's not really affecting me, but like it kind of astounds me how people are uh so willing to spend money on cosmetic differences for characters or like a new gun or something, you know, something like that. I feel like that's the most common form DLC takes. The um the cosmetic aspect of it, that's I feel like that's getting into <laughs> microtransactions a little bit, but 
Yeah, there is, like, I guess Call of Duty would be like that, right? Where it just adds, like, one new gun and maybe a bunch of skins to it. But as far as, like, other games go, um, I think the... If, I'm, if I can just jump to, like, what I think is a bad form of DLC would be stuff that's already in the game locked behind paywalls. Yeah, that's, um, uh, that's a pretty bad practice, right? Because you're kind of buying the game under the assumption that you're getting a complete product, and when you buy something and uh, people who mine through the, the code or whatever discover that there are assets for like this whole other level that aren't utilized within the game, kind of it's kind of suspicious, right? I think the two worst defenders of it were... Street Fighter versus or X Tekken, where there were like two or three characters that were already in the game, and you just had to pay more to actually be able to play as them. Mm -hmm. And then recently, there's been a thing about uh, the new Injustice game where they've already announced three DLC characters, but the game isn't done with development; it's not out yet. So people are a little angry about that. Yeah. Uh, and you certainly see companies becoming more bold with their DLC announcements. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's sort of crazy how, um, to go back to the Star Wars example, uh, they had, like, their major, like, their four major major DLC uh, packs announced, like, as the game launched, or even before that, actually. They were like, this is what each pack's going to be. Um, they didn't have dates or specific content or anything, but... It's interesting how I, I want to say maybe compliant the consumers become, where that that sort of behavior is just like taken as the norm. Whereas, like expect. I think it should be, I think people should be a little more kind of, you know, they should repel that kind of behavior a little bit. But everyone speaks with their wallets. As long as DLC keeps getting bought, companies will keep offering uh, DLC in the same manner they are now. I think with games that are like, <clears throat> especially on. Uh, like on the battlefront and the AAA level, I think we're almost expecting going into it that we're going to spend like six, or well, we'll get $60 down for the base game, but then there's going to be like 20 to $30 of DLC that we just have to have for some reason. So it ends up being like a $90, $100 game. Right. And we're just okay <clears throat> with it at this point. Yeah, most games, when, are, when it's said and done, you have the $60 base price and then like the 40 to uh, 30 to $40 DLC. So it's safe to say like, to have like a complete game, like with all the additional content, you're going to be spending ninety to a hundred dollars each time. Uh, Jordan, do you have something to I think add? It just depends on the game, because um, I think of like I think it was Rock Band or Guitar Hero where you could buy specific songs. All right. Um, for like ninety ninety nine cents each. I'm not or sure. Something. I'm not sure, but like um, like Just Dance, I know that they you can buy specific songs on that as well. Like it's just it varies. Like. If it's good or bad, it depends on the game. Like I think it works for those kind of games. But yeah, it could be kind of greedy. Sort of rhythm Some games. people could yeah. see. Yeah, it makes sense because it's like I don't know. It's like you're buying a song for your iPod or whatever. You know. Yeah, those are those are all song based and like yeah. So like you also had access to all the all the previous catalog from previous games on the newest game with the newest features. So that was a good thing for that. Yeah. And like <clears> um, I don't know, Grand Theft Auto Online stuff. Would you consider that DLC or would you consider online separate? So, I I would not consider that DLC, right? Because that was included in the base game, correct? GTA mm, Online. No, or do they new, add it later? There's new game modes and all kinds but of stuff. But are in the they? Online. But that's not behind a paywall, right? It's free. No, online. You, there's stuff you have to pay for in the online. Yeah, you can sink a lot of money into GTA Online. No, but you don't have to pay to play it, right? 
But there's like microtransactions, correct? I think so. There's um, certain modes I think you have to buy. There are some DLC packs I know you have to buy. Um, I'm trying to think. I can't remember the GTA, the GTA or the online's uh, packs, but I know there's one that's uh, like you start a biker gang, or then what was that other one? I don't know. I haven't really played online, but there's also like a racing course thing. I think you have to pay for those. I don't think those are just included in online or locked behind a paywall like that's something because uh gta 5 didn't really have like single player dlc it had once they realized how much money online was making them like it made them a billion dollars right they just were like all right let's just focus on gta online and start making content for that and I think that's where all the dlc for gta 5 went was straight to online yeah I don't think there was a single single a single single player expansion for that game. It was all dumped into the multiplayer, which is kind of unusual for GTA. Um, they always have like for the mainline GTA games, they have single player expansions. Well, they they've done more online I think for this one than ever before. And you can this is a 2013 game that people are still playing just for the Yeah, online. and it consistently charts like on the top of like the best sellers list. Yeah. So, it's it's making an extraordinary amount of money. I almost have to wonder who doesn't own a copy of GTA V at this point uh, for the online. <laughs> it's, it's it was it was the fastest selling game of all time, I believe. I yeah, it and it's is. it's one of the best selling games like of all time at this point. It's yeah. definitely in the top ten, I think. All right, you guys have anything else to say about uh, DLC? So GTA's DLC is free. Okay. I yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I've never <laughs> used it, but. Um, so I think that's good. And they've made plenty of money from the from game sales. So I think it's good to like have DLC maybe to reward your audience. Why don't they do that more games besides <laughs> most a lot of games don't do that because they want money, right? Right. Because they know people of the vast majority of people will pay for more. So why make more for free? You know, it's I mean, that's a smart and sound business decision, you know? But um well for the business part of it like Half of all the money, or half of the cover price, ends up going to marketing for the game. So, DLC is, like, one of the few places where I think most of the money uh, that you pay for DLC actually goes back to the publisher. But it's also the one where people are like, why wasn't this just included in the game in the first place? Right. Um, So, from a business perspective, yes, DLC is great. Just, I think there's a fine line between... Hey, we uh, we have some new aspect we can add to the game, and we would like you to pay for it so we can make the next game, please. Yeah, uh, there there definitely is a fine line there because like you could easily step over that line and be like, okay, you're clearly robbing the consumer, you know, like Halo Three ODST could have used Halo 3's engine, it could have been a download, but instead they made it a full right. based game. Yeah, and made a lot of money off that. Yeah, and it was from what what I remember, Halo Three ODST was. I don't think it warranted a $60 price tag. Yeah, I, it was I liked it. I, it was a good spin-off story-wise and everything, but you're right. I don't know if it warranted that. They did introduce a new mode though. I think it was Firefight. Yeah. I believe they introduced an ODST, but Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mentioned it before, but the one developer I think like immediately that does DLC very well is CD Project Red because The Witcher 3 was already a robust 100-plus hour game. And then they added their two DLC packs. Uh, forget what the first one was called. Oh, one of them was Blood and Wine. Yeah, the second one was Blood and Wine. That's the one I remember. Um, Hearts of Stone? 
maybe. Maybe. I'm going to get eviscerated. But um, <laughs> those two together, they added an absurd amount of content to the game. They added pretty much a whole new continent to the game. Dozens and dozens of hours of gameplay. And the asking like the asking price was low. Like I can't remember off the top of my head, but I wanna say it was like twenty to thirty dollars, which is just insane, you know? Like the Witcher three DLC has more content than most games. <laughs> like I think they could have charged more for that and totally and that would have been totally justified. So maybe they were undercharging for their DLC. I haven't played The Witcher Three, so how many hours <laughs> does um the two uh, DLCs, add, like, how many hours does that add into the game? I'm not sure about the first one, but the second pack alone adds around 40. Oh my yeah, it's <laughs> that's, ridiculous. It's like a whole nother game. Yeah. I guess the opposite of CD Projekt Red, which I've seen people talk about recently, is Galgun Double Pieces uh, DLC, which is $90. <laughs> it's more than the actual game Why? itself. So... so the point of this DLC is all it does is Galgun Double Piece is like an on-rail shooter where um, you don't shoot, like you you don't really shoot people. You're just it's one of those uh, Japanese uh, high school love kind of games, I guess, where you try and get all the girls to fall in love with you. The DLC's point is that if you zoom in, then you can see through clothes. It's a ninety dollar. <laughs> is that that's that that's it? the only purpose of this so DLC. It's, it's ninety dollars. Aiming to a very specific market. To a very niche audience yeah. that would pay close to a hundred dollars for an added feature. Yeah, that's like that. that's one of the most absurd things I've ever heard. It's, but uh, yeah, that's definitely a very extreme example. I guess it, it, like you can generalize it in saying the 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 developer really kind of knows their audience. You know, like for. Um, for that game, like, they know their niche hardcore audience would pay any amount to, like, get that feature. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Activision or whatever for Call of Duty, they know that, uh, their hardcore Call of Duty audience will pay for the additional maps and, and modes and such, you know, so. Nintendo's hardcore audience bought those Mario Kart tracks and Smash Brothers right. characters. Yeah. And so Nintendo's actually, they're kind of the, they're just now kind of foraying into DLC, with uh, with Smash and Mario Kart, like you mentioned, and I don't think their asks are too unreasonable yet. You know, they're just charging five dollars per Smash character or something. And th- was I don't that, think I they think came right. on the game. I think they had to download that as well. Yeah, so that that was uh, that was another that was a separate purchase. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I think it was cheaper. Uh, I only ever bought the characters for the Wii U version because that was the one I played with people. But you could all but like it was weird because. You had to separate it, which I guess that makes sense uh, store-wise and business-wise, but you bought the character for the Wii U or you bought it for the 3DS. And same with all the stages, too. There were, like, a few packs. I'm trying to think what the more ex- <coughs> the more expensive packs were closer into, like, $40, $50 range uh, where you could get it on both systems, the Wii U and the 3DS, and you got... A number of characters and stages, and then me outfits as well. Yeah, but yeah, I I don't remember being outraged at their asking price. I think Nintendo's kind of got a good handle on DLC right now. As they keep doing it, I think it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for them to fly off the handle like so many developers do. But it's an easy power to abuse, really. Yeah, for sure. I think microtransactions are a separate topic, but um, they kind of tie in with the whole DLC talk. I think that's the biggest example of, like, abusing your consumer, right? 
Well, if it's a free-to-play game, microtransactions are. Are there? Pro- yeah, oh yeah. Are there a way of making revenue? But like, <clears throat> Overwatch comes to mind, right? Like, it's a sixty-dollar game, and then you buy loot boxes okay. for cosmetic changes, and I don't know. A lot. So many people are into that. And I just think it's like lunacy. See, the whenever you first said microtransaction, I instantly thought mobile gaming, mm. and that whole um, business model there, where all there's all the stuff has to be free to get people to download and right. use your base. And yeah. Then, if even just ten percent buy a you know buy a little bit of currency in-game currency or something, that's how they make their money. Right. Yeah. D- just kind of like some of my thoughts on it. I think DLC should be worked on after the developer ships the game. Right. I agree, hundred percent. If they release a game with like the groundwork already laid for DLC, then I sort of have the expectation that like okay, maybe your game just isn't finished and you just ship this, and now you're going to charge more for stuff that should have been in the game. I think I agree with that sentiment because, I mean, developing is mostly a time game anyway. How do you have enough time to go and be like, all right, just, uh, just you know what, leave that one open. We'll come back to that with DLC. We'll make people pay for that when it could just be like, no, we just, okay, let's just get this done. Uh, we'll think about DLC when we're not all having the publisher jump at us right now. Right. Uh, any concluding thoughts, guys? DLC is, in a sense necessary we'll probably it's going to continue i think we should encourage the right uh form of dlc like cd project red and shun the ones that are just paywalls like it's already there just put more money that's the sort of thing i think we should really start to like differ uh as cons- uh, consumers yeah i agree all right um our next topic is piracy tristan has a little story he'd like to share about uh, a recent game, and then we can kind of jump off of that. Well, it was recent when we're recording this. This is It's probably going to be uh, a little bit old news. but So recently, uh, Nier Automata's, one of the modders for the game, the FAR mod, I believe it's called, the mod fixes a number of problems when the game was ported to PC. It fixed aspect ratios. It fixed like a lot of technical issues that people were having as they were trying to play Nier on their computer. But what the modder decided to do uh, is, with the newest patch of their mod, is it checked if you had a legal copy of the game. I think Nier Automata used the de novo anti-piracy thing that a lot of newer games are using. Uh, and that got, that got cracked pretty much immediately. But uh, the modder decided, I'm going to take things into my own hands. And they went back and reinstituted uh, this check and it's caused a bit of a storm on the modder's page because some people equivalent or made it an equivalent to like malware and whatnot. But I think I find it interesting that the modder decided, hey, you know what? I want you to have a legal copy of the game if you're going to try and use my mod. I am going to stand against piracy. I thought that was really interesting and not something they had to do either. Right. Yeah, I definitely can't think of any other examples of something like that happening. Usually, if uh, the like the modding community, no, I was I can't. I'm not gonna finish what I was about <laughs> to say. Generalize yeah. the yeah. I, no, 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 no. That was that was a no, no. But um, it is interesting to think that like I don't think you can ever beat piracy. You know, I think it's always going to be around. And I think a lot of developers, maybe not a lot, but some developers are kind of just trying to spin it to their advantage. You know, something like, oh look, my game got pirated this many times. That just 
goes to show how successful we are or whatever and turn that into maybe a statistic to present like a marketing pre- statistic you know yeah it, it is interesting like it's 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 you can't really combat it maybe temporarily you can stop it but hackers and and, and people who devote all their time to this sort of thing will find a way around it and find a way to crack your game jordan do you want to add something? I think you could you could control. There is a way you could control it. You could constantly <coughs> check online, have the, the license check. And if it's like an online game, you would you would know if they had an account on your database that you control that they don't have access to. And well, I think that could did, be, It would be it wouldn't be very they, uh, it wouldn't be very consumer friendly. I think that would be the problem with that because it would be a pain for the consumer. They had to constantly check in, like right. um, and like Microsoft. Microsoft had to do when they released Xbox One. They talked about checking in constantly yeah. with your game. It would be something. And like the that. backlash was so severe they scrapped that completely. Yes. So but you gotta you gotta understand. You know they're losing money from yeah. these pirated games. And honestly, I think it's ridiculous. If you support a game, you should you shouldn't have a problem paying that developer that the money because if they you know they don't know they they determine they make business decisions based on the success of a game. So if everybody pirates their game, they don't know how successful it is. So, like, piracy is stealing. You know, you're just stealing digital stuff. But the, the, like, I think the moral kind of separation there is, like, because you're not stealing anything physical, you don't feel as bad about it. And that's why people, like, kind of just ignore that kind of moral conundrum that they might go through. But, like, kind of going back to our conversation... I don't think you can fight against it because if you implement measures like that, that it, it, it turns off everyone, including the people who paid for the game, you know, because now it's tedious for them and games are kind of an, a form of escapism and an, an experience you want to enjoy. But if you make the game good enough, people will go <laughs> over that and be able well, to be okay with that. I mean, if you can give me an example. GTA could do something. Uh, you know, they, they, they ban people that have, you know, illegal versions of their game from the online. That's mm-hmm. their steps against it. I think that works well for them. Yeah, <clears throat> there have been a few developers that have done something like interesting with uh, piracy. There was one developer that, if it was a certain boss and they found you had a pirated version of the game, <clears throat> it was pretty much a kill screen. Like you could not get any further in the game. That boss just one hundred percent of the time would kill you. So I think that's. I think we can be a little bit creative with how uh, we try and tackle piracy. But yeah, we're never going to completely get rid of it there's always someone that's going to pirate the game it just goes back to software in general too you know paying for windows or mac operating system or getting linux for free mm-hmm. you know some people there's a whole free software <coughs> movement out there i think um and i can't speak for them but i can kind of see their some of their arguments if you ever look into that for why a software should be free but you got to understand too microsoft wouldn't be who they are without you know programming getting mm-hmm. basic on those first computers for for before Microsoft was founded, right? Windows was revolutionary because it helped people, you know, in the PC in that space learn. You know, it get got the mainstream people onto computers that would never consider it before when it was just text based, and that wouldn't have happened if it, they didn't charge a price for it. If there was no motivation there, business wise, and you know, just looking looking. No, out certainly. Like, I mean, yeah. the the extreme of everything just being up for grabs is just everything. The, nothing would work, right? Yeah, right. That would not work. I kind of here for a reason. Yeah, I want <laughs> I want to pose an interesting question that we kind of touched on when we talked about um, emulation. How do you guys th- uh, feel about maybe downloading a game that isn't being manufactured anymore? So maybe something like a game that came out in 1990 that you can't buy anymore is that acceptable to pirate? Uh, mm, that one's a bit tricky. 
my personal stance on it is, do you own a copy of this game that came out in the 90s? Then it's because a personal story here is uh, <clears throat> when I came to America, I had a PlayStation 1. Um, and in Australia, everything runs on, is everything is a PAL. So it's not compatible with American uh, technology. So later on, I was like, oh, okay, well, what if I want to play PlayStation games? I ultimately just broke down and bought an old PlayStation. But there are a lot of games I can't find that I really enjoyed as a kid. So right. it's one of those things is, is having a copy of the game good enough to be like, all right, let's dive into emulation. Let's uh, get myself whatever emulator is out there and a copy of the game that is compatible with it. Or what do I do there? I don't know if I can back this up, but my initial thought is you buy a right to that software on the original hardware. So, however, if the company wants to re-release it on a new piece of hardware, I feel like that's a separate purchase because they have to go through a process of making the code work on the newer right, right. stuff or optimize it for whatever platform they're porting it to. So, but yeah, but my question is, a game that came out like in 1990. No. No. Yeah, that's what that I was getting at. Company would yeah. have to. You know, that company might want to, that might be in their back catalog. A lot of companies make a lot of money off their back catalog. EA has a huge game library. They're still making money off of. Yeah. It's most of Ubisoft <coughs> sales when we had that episode. Like 60% of their sales are from their back catalog, not right. from their new releases. Right, right. Mm. But I, I, I don't know. I, I guess the argument to that is if, if they're not manufacturing the game anymore, then it's not being sold in their back catalog. And then, like, what do you do then? The game's not available in any other way. Buy the old hardware and run it on that. Find it on eBay for like three hundred percent its price. Um, I think part of the soft that is uh, for me personally. I know this people don't agree with this. Part of playing that old software is playing it with like that original <laughs> controller and that original hardware. Right. So like you lose that when it's made for free on a PC. I feel yeah, like. Yeah, but a lot of people just want the experience, right? They could care less about the original kind of. Con- like that, that's the, part of the yeah, experience yeah. is the controller. Oh, and let me re- rephrase: just the game. That's why I, I don't understand it. Personally. Yeah. I think if because um it's been interesting like uh with Nintendo starting with the Wii the whole virtual console thing especially um like also PlayStation and how it brought PS classics back I think if that were to be expanded upon cuz I don't know I don't know if their catalog is like huge on that I think if the catalog was ever expanded upon then we I think there would be a perfectly legal way to relive your old games, maybe with better inputs even. Yeah, it'd be I think it would definitely curb the piracy of old games if these companies made their virtual consoles a lot more robust and like more frequently updated. I know I thought PlayStation's uh, was pretty robust. Their PS1 classics cuz that works <clears throat> Their PS1 almost. classics are pretty good. PS2 not good at all. They have like this whole PS2 on PS4 initiative and they've only put like 30 Right. Games I on think it the so far. The architecture between those systems, though, is the biggest problem with that. Uh, Xbox One's been doing a fantastic job uh, bringing 360 games like through their back compat. Um, Backwards compatibility. Yeah, yeah. So they 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 introduce games. It seems almost weekly mm-hmm. that are now available on Xbox One. So if you own the disc, you'll be able to play it. And we're so, on Xbox 360. Yeah. Wow, that's a complete 180. Of uh, I don't really play Xbox One, but that often. Um, but like my biggest problem uh, was that the shift between Xbox and 360 was that I couldn't play my Xbox games on the 360. Like, 
almost there was a it very was a limited list. A very yeah. small list of games that would <coughs> still work. No, most of my favorites weren't like compatible at all. For me, the Halos work. That's all I needed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what else does Microsoft have? Exactly. No, uh, uh, no, they have. We really need to get a Microsoft fan. Come on, they like, got Connect on on Come this on, show. They got you know? Connect. That's the we best have. Thing. We have a PlayStation fanboy. We have a Nintendo <laughs> fanboy. Like it's Microsoft needs some love. They got uh, Gears. Gears of War's Xbox exclusive, yeah, isn't it? It's it's okay. Yeah, it's it's just all right. <laughs> all right. They got Forza, a great racing franchise. Yeah. Eh. Eh. Rivals, uh, Gran Turismo, and Need for Speed. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I, I acknowledge it's a huge franchise. It just doesn't do anything for me personally. They just released a Hot Wheels DLC. I saw that looked really cool. You're the only person that thinks that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, moving on to our next topic, how oh. to make your first game. Games. So this next topic is going to kind of explore game development from a complete beginner standpoint. So you really love games but you have no computer science skills and you've never tried to make a game before, but you would like to learn how to make a game, what do you do? And I think I can speak for all of us in saying that all of us, all three of us here at least, have been in those shoes, some of us more recently than others, but the point being that we've all been there and then, and that it's not that hard to do it. You just have to jump in and not be afraid of not knowing things. Jordan, do you want to kind of... Yeah, kick so, off the discussion. Um, Game Maker Studio, I think, is a really good platform or good engine to start with because you can just drag and drop things that you want your characters to do. Depending on what yeah. kind of game, I think a question you have to address too is like, what kind of <coughs> game do you want to make as your first game? I I think a very easy first game is like a 2D platform. You definitely want to scope low, so you're not going to be making Call of Duty for your first game. Right. I think yeah. a lot of people go in thinking that they could do. They have this really great game idea, and they just want to start making that. And I think that's a be- you need to start with smaller projects Absolutely. and learn the basic yeah. skills before you do your million dollar idea or billion dollar whatever. Right. Learn to make asteroids. Learn to make yeah. The, like the f- my first real programming experience was learning to make asteroids in Game Maker. Before that, I have been making pretty much just board games which I'd still say that's a great place to start, too, is making board games. Yeah, that certainly teaches you game design philosophy, Yeah. Uh, if, if not the program, which is just as important for making a good game. I certainly think that, for me at least, the biggest challenge was just, oh, I don't know any programming, I don't know anything about game development, so I'm just afraid of right. getting near that. And RPG makers just drag and drop, isn't it? Um, I'm not sure. I'm working with. I'm currently working with the most recent one, MV. It's not drag and drop, but there's uh, there's you don't need to know how to program to mm-hmm. make um, RPG maker work. All you need to know is maybe some algebra. Really, mm-hmm. you can get fancy later on with uh, like plugins and uh, code commands, but to start out now for RPG Maker, just you can just go right into it. A lot of these engines too, like if you're stuck on using a specific tool, which I wouldn't think you would be, but if even if you were, there's a lot of tutorials and good community as well out there. There's websites like based around game development. That yeah, I was going you. to say that. As far as tutorials go, I have never seen more tutorials and more robust tutorials than there are for game development. There are so many people out there that want to get into game development, and and as such, there are so many online tools of people just hour-long YouTube videos going through every feature you need to know. For like, for example, Game Maker Studio has so many excellent 
YouTube series on just like learning its ins and outs. So if you're dedicated and you want to learn, the resources are all there. You just kind of have to like jump in and do it, I think is the biggest thing. So none of us are in the industry, but let's say you wanted to be a in the, like do games for a living. I know it varies depending on what exactly you're doing in a game development team, but like what would you suggest education wise? kind of person. I know none of us are in it, so right. it's kind of... So the two big things that come to mind are either a CS degree or an art degree of some sort. Okay. Because just from the strict game-making perspective, you're either an artist or an engineer, and those two things combined make like an interesting game. Mm-hmm. Uh, games obviously need a lot more than that. They need a marketing team. They need a producer. They need business acumen Quality to assurance. like manage everything. But uh, in terms of making the game itself... If if you're looking into like what to pursue, like education wise, to kind of be primed for that, I would say art or engineering. Yeah, I agree with you. I was gonna say, um, I think I've talked to several people, or I've seen online people that have gotten like game specific degrees, and I think that limits you because it's very specific, very heads on. It's very niche. Like if you get computer science, right, even if if games don't end up working out or you lose interest in it, there's so many different exactly. directions it's you can go with that. It's a very broad It's very broad. Yeah. And I yeah, I think that's an important <coughs> thing to consider is you don't want to limit yourself to mm-hmm. one specific thing. But I to co- kind of flip that, if you know for sure like deep in your heart that's your passion and that's what you want to do, getting that really kind of shows that like hey, I'm devoting all my time and effort to this one thing and I think that that's a positive if you're really trying to get into gaming only, you know, mm-hmm. like if you're if someone at a games company is looking at your resume and sees that you have like a degree in game design or something. And it's just like, wow, you really dedicated your your time and blood, sweat and tears to this I think portfolio is really important as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So a gaming portfolio, just a sort of collection, either online or physical of like the projects you've worked on and that sort of thing. Uh, when you're applying to game companies, that's like the first thing they ask for, just to kind of get an idea of what kind of game developer you are. There was a talk <coughs> recently, too, uh, uh, going along with portfolios. Um, one developer <coughs> suggested that if you that shorter games are nice, but you might also want to have like a longer game or two because uh, a lot of times when you take a portfolio somewhere, you have a lot of like game jam games. Um, and so Game Jam games, you know, you just spend, like, I don't know, a weekend on it. But when you go into, if you were to go into the industry, that would be something where you're working on a game for two to three years. So I think um, if you are, if you, if you're uh, dead set in an idea to, like, go into the game industry, maybe think about a long-term project of some sort, one that takes a while to work on because um, where it wears you down. Yeah, and um, we already sort of touched on the fact that game development is a very difficult, grueling thing. To sort of stay back on topic, yeah, if you want to learn it... No, 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 you're fine. No. But if you want to learn it, the tools are there online. That's the best thing, that you don't really have to pay anything to learn this skill. If you want to learn it, you can. Yeah, I would say start doing um, versus, like, coming up with an idea on paper because you're going to get further. <clears throat> Absolutely, yeah. Um, and a thing we didn't really touch on is, like, the kind of brainstorming and idea phase defines what your project will be way down the line, maybe even if it's long-term And that project. could even be a lot – it's going to be a lot different probably than your initial thought yeah. as you run into technical um, limitations and – yeah, absolutely. Kind but of thing. 
Uh, that that all goes with the process, but it's very important to start with like a cr- sort of just creative explosion. Just like write down all of your ideas, see how they connect to each other, and then ask yourself how you can make a game out of those things. And if you're it's your first time making a game, finding sort of the right tutorial online uh, as to what to use, like what platform to use to develop the game, and just kind of go from there. I'd say play around with um, the free software. Uh, Unity, Game, Game Maker Studio, like the basic ones, yes. free, right? Yeah. All right. I'd say try the free ones out. Eventually, you'll find one that you can you can be like, this is the one I feel comfortable in. And then when you find that one, it's just really like, oh, wow, I know what I can do here. So you just sort of take off. And that's a great feeling is knowing which software feels good to use. A lot of the skills be- between platforms kind of translate too. So like if you have experience in Game Maker, yes, Unity is 3D and it has a lot more features, but it won't be completely alien to you. You already have a leg up on someone who's never used either of those. So learning also, one yeah. get put gives you steps in others too. Yeah, the point is that tons of free resources. If you want to if you want to do it, go do it. Like that's the best advice I could give. As always, we end each week talking about games we recommend or games we've been playing. Um, Tristan, why don't you start? Alrighty. Uh, this week I've been playing Katamari Forever. I love Katamari Forever. Actually, I love the Katamari games so in general. Th- for those who don't know, I think I've heard of the Katamari series. It's like where you're you're just like a ball of stuff, right? And you collect yes. more stuff as you roll around. You start off really small, and then you roll up like a thumbtack or an eraser, and then you just keep rolling that ball, and it just keeps collecting things, and eventually you get to the point where you're rolling up houses, you're rolling up the whole neighborhood. <clears> it's <throat> kind of like, it's sort of like a puzzle platformer. It's sort of like figuring out okay, am I big enough to suck up that thing? And after I do, uh, where do I go from there? Uh, how big does this ball have to be by the end of the level? It's The controls are also fairly interesting for it because it, w- it took a little bit getting used to it, but, oh, my God, once you get into it, that game just sort of takes so off. So what's the objective of the game? Are there levels? Yes, so every level you start off with... A tiny ball. Uh, and you have a time limit to get the balls, uh, I can't remember, diameter, radius, one of those two, uh, up to a certain measurement. So you could start off at, like, the ball starts off at one centimeter, get it up to a meter or two, and then eventually uh, you just roll around the map collecting objects uh, and you try to get your ball of things to be that big. <coughs> So I feel like it's a very like kind of cathartic thing playing. I feel like it's just relaxing, sucking up a bunch of stuff and seeing your ball of nonsense get bigger. It's, it definitely is, especially the later levels where you're sucking up even bigger and bigger things. Because, uh, not to spoil anything, but like as you like in the beginning, you're just sucking up like maybe you're cleaning up a room in a sense. But by the end of it, you're like starting off as this wee tiny little ball, and then you're sucking up continents on Earth. And so it, it's very cathartic to be like, wow, I started off as like this tiny little thing, and look where I am now. Mm-hmm. I'm on top of the world. Yeah. What cool. platform is it on? Uh, PlayStation. Okay. Vita? Uh, I remember there, there was some for Vita. Yeah, there is a spinoff on Vita, <clears throat> but I've been playing the one on PlayStation 3. Cool. Okay, nice. I don't think they made one for PS4. Not yet. I don't... I would... 
I know there is one somewhere in development limbo, uh, another main series Katamari game, and I am waiting. <laughs> All right, how about you, Jordan? Uh, I was just replaying Dead Space recently. Oh, nice. Yeah, that. I've know about Dead Space. You know I've never played it. I really it, like yeah. how it's 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 unique as far as horror um, in the fact that to kill the uh, enemies, the necromorphs is what they're called, you have mm-hmm. to shoot off all their limbs versus like in the heart or the head. Right. So it's very, I think that's unique. And it just like um, some of the, it, it's, it's just a classic game. I like playing it when I played it the first time so that's why I'm replaying it yeah. now. It's very, um, it's very scary and gory. Yeah, right? so you're, you're, yeah. yeah, so you're on a, a this mining <clears throat> ship just stops talking to the um com- the, the Earth Command. So they send out a ship to investigate, and they think they're just repairing like a transmitter or something, and they end up it's a whole complete disease that they got from the planet. Yeah. On the, I don't want to give too much away, but yeah. Yeah, no, I've always been interested in the Dead Space series, but I'm a big baby who doesn't play horror games, yeah. unfortunately. Oh, it, it's great. It's it's sad <clears throat> though. I wish EA would make a Dead Space Four or something because they haven't touched the series. Dead since Space the, since Three the didn't do commercial, yeah, didn't do well. Yeah, um, yeah. Performance of Dead Space Three. But yeah, there's, Dead Space, there's several reasons why Dead Space Three did bad. Dead Space and Dead Space Two, I hear talked about often as like incredible, incredible yes, games. I think yeah, Two's yeah. better than the original, but um, if you want to play them, I suggest playing them in order because the stories go. In order linear. Right. Awesome. Uh, were you playing it on 360 or I'm PC? I'm playing it on PC. Okay, gotcha. But it's on it's on the yeah, 360 PS3, and they have spinoffs on the Wii <coughs> as well. Oh yeah, the on rail shooter one. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. That's they do. That's crazy. Um, what have you been playing see. this week? Uh, I have not been playing anything this week, but I do want to give a shout out to the first game I ever played, which is Super Mario 64 Ooh. on the Nintendo 64. The classic. Yeah, and I'm very much revealing my age here <laughs> by saying that my first gameplay was an N64 game, but I remember I was like three years old. My parents got me an N64 and Mario 64 for my birthday, and like it changed my it changed my whole world. You know, like it was my first video game. Like I was controlling someone in a 3D space, and I can only imagine for those people who played 2D Mario up to that point to play Mario 64. What how mind-blowing that transition must have been. But just like the the hub world outside where you start off, like, I spent out, like, I feel, I want to say hours just messing around out there, like, jumping on trees, that sort of thing. Then when you finally enter the castle and jump through paintings, of which, you know, transport you to the levels where you collect stars, it's just, it's just an excellent, excellent, probably my favorite 3D platformer of all time, honestly. Like, I can't think of one better. Um, I like... Mario 64 better than Sunshine and Galaxy, which I know is mm. a very might be controversial saying it's better than Galaxy, but my nostalgia for that is just too great. I remember. I'm assuming you didn't beat it when you were three, did you? Go I did back actually. And play it? Did you really? <laughs> yeah, I beat it. Yeah. When, yeah. when I was young, I didn't get very far in any games. Uh, I remember. <laughs> I for the longest time, there were some sections that I couldn't do, so I gave okay. it to my parents that, and they like never played video games, but they could figure it out because they had mental cognition better than a three-year-old mm-hmm. uh, but I still remember beating the final boss like uh, Rainbow Bowser or whatever um, spoiler <laughs> yeah sorry oh, man. the final villain uh, my parents Memorial. were like uh, they, they like I think this may be a year or two after I got it but like they were going to this like party or whatever and they wanted me to come they, and I was like I have to beat the last boss and then, like, when I encountered him, I was, like, too scared, so I gave it to my dad. My dad, like, instantly lost, like, all of my lives. And I was, like, I, I toughened up. I was, like, all right, I'm going to do this. And I beat him on my first try. And that, to this day, is one of my proudest moments. <laughs> so, yeah, that's 
that's kind of a shout out to Mario 64. All right, I think that's going to do it for this week. Uh, I'm Ahmed Mion. Thank you, Tristan and Jordan, for joining me. Uh, Thanks for having me on here. Yep, see you guys next week. Bye.